Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to be beginning a series, um, which I try to do a couple of those a year maybe, uh, but we're going to begin one uh, that will carry us for the next several weeks on the very verse that we just read, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about each of these items that Paul lists as being the result of someone who is truly filled with the Spirit, which we all seek to be. But this morning, we need to set the stage for this because this is not just a list of good qualities. This is not just a list of good characteristics that people should have uh, or that uh, make someone virtuous. In fact, it's really quite the opposite of that is what Paul is saying. History is a very funny thing. Um, Our nation began in part because we could not tolerate the idea of a three-cent tax on a pound of tea. Three pennies per pound of tea was the tax levied, and for that, we killed people and won our freedom. And when you go to the grocery store today or this week, I want you to take a look at your receipt and see how much tax you're paying now. It's amazing how people can take such a stand for something, can take such joy and pride in something, and then over time be willing to slip back into old habits and into old thinking. Paul is addressing that in the book of Galatians, and specifically at the beginning of chapter 5, he is addressing that very idea because this was a consistent problem in the early church was a wrestling with the place that the old law had in their lives and an understanding of what Jesus actually did. He wasn't just the sacrifice. He wasn't just a teacher or a rabbi. He was transformative in fulfilling the law and doing away with the things that were drawbacks to that law. Look at what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You have such a wonderful gift, Paul says. Because Christ died, he has purchased a freedom, a liberty for you. And now you're willingly going to go back to being enslaved. Now, the law was a good thing. The law was a wonderful thing that served a great purpose. And those who followed it and later found Christ were blessed by it. But there was a tendency to slip back into old ways of thinking. And one of those ways of thinking is that if we do more good things than bad things, we make it. We're in. This is how much of the world sees religion and faith uh, as as kind of a moralistic point of view uh, or a meritorious point of view. That at the end of your life, if your report card shows 50% plus one good deeds to bad deeds, you're in. 
That's not what we believe. It's not what we teach, and it's not what is true. And Paul says as much. You, you gained this freedom. Now why are you willing to voluntarily go back and live a life enslaved? Enslaved to a law that no longer functions or serves a purpose and that never could save you. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Okay, let's stop there. Now, when we hear fallen from grace, that sounds really heavy. He's not meaning, I, I don't believe, necessarily, that they have separated themselves from salvation. They have fallen away from the understanding of grace. And that is the very foundational concept of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul said. He's not talking about people who are circumcised or even that choose to be circumcised as having done a bad thing. We see over and over evidence that early Christians followed a lot of other rituals as a matter of conscience, and that was allowable. And we were called, they were called, and we still are called to have grace for one another as we do some things as a matter of conscience. We do have some differences amongst us, and that's okay. But what Paul is saying is, if you are giving yourself over to this law and this ritual and these things as a means of trying to save you, you have given up on the idea of grace and you're moving backwards to an idea of meritorious works of the law making you holy. If you put your faith in circumcision or ritual cleansing or animal sacrifice or any of the things that were a part of the old law, Paul says, you are misguided and you're making a mistake. Jesus set you free and you're voluntarily putting yourself back under the burden of the law. And he makes this point that if you accept circumcision, then you better take the whole thing. You can't just take one part of the law. You can't just be circumcised and say, this is what's going to save me. This makes me whole before God. This makes me cleanse before God. And now I'm going to follow Jesus. No, no, no. You went that way, you got to go that way. Paul's making a point here. That it is not the works of the law that make us righteous. And yet, that would have been a very strong pull for people of that time. It's really hard to break multi-generational thinking. It's very hard to break the way that everything you know about life has operated. And he says that if you seek to be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You've turned your back on it. You've given up on the idea of grace. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the righteousness, or excuse me, wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The following of these old laws, the, the, the keeping of these old traditions and rituals, they, they don't count for anything anymore. You can do it. You can make that choice of your conscience, Paul would later talk about, but if that's what you're putting your faith in, then you're putting your faith in the wrong place. We eagerly await for righteousness, a hope of righteousness from Christ. The only thing that is left is faith working through love. And then verse 7, he says, You were running well. 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This uh, persuasion is not from him who calls you. A, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Very strong words from Paul for those who were sowing dissension. Those who were sowing uh, these, these seeds of division and of confusion. Paul knows these people he's writing to. He has a personal relationship with them and cares for them. And he's writing to say, I'm hearing some troubling things. Someone is telling you the wrong thing. False teachers, we, we talk about that a lot, and we reference a lot of scripture about how serious false teachers are. I think sometimes we water down that term. You know, false teachers aren't just somebody that, that thinks that a different way of doing something is okay. Whether we agree or disagree with that, that, that really waters down what the Bible means by false teachers. We're talking about people that would come through and tell you there was another way to heaven besides Jesus. Or that there was another path to take that, that minimized or marginalized or removed the idea of the grace of God through the sacrifice of Christ. These were the false teachers that Paul was dealing with. And there were some coming through saying, this Jesus guy is all well and good, but you've got to still follow the law. You're still under the law. There is no new paradigm. There is no new age. There is no new dispensation. You are still under the law of Moses in spite of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that's not true. It, it is not going to be your keeping of the law or your lack of keeping the law that saves you. It is going to be your faith in Christ. Now, that begs the question then, what does how we live matter? I think we, we have this very polarized view of this subject sometimes. On the one hand, people say, well, you need to do good and, and do these things. And the people that do these things, well, they're the good people and they're the faithful people. And do these things and you'll go to heaven. And on the other end, we hear it, that doesn't matter at all. You love God, you love other people, and you're in. And there's never talk of obedience and what that means. And somewhere in between is perhaps what God has in mind for us. But we view it very polarized, as though it's one or the other. And it's not. There's everything in between it. And certainly the Bible teaches that obedience is a part of a faithful life. Paul is not arguing for no obedience. He is not arguing for the abolishment of all ordinance and all requirements on faithful people. What he's arguing for is what order we put it in. Is it our works that lead us to righteousness? Or is it our righteousness that produces good works? He begins speaking in verse 13 about some of the works of the flesh. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, I know that's more than one word. He means one phrase, one saying. That's not a literal word. Just in case you wanted to nitpick with Paul, but I would advise against it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, 
Now, he mentions obedience here. You have the desires of the flesh, and you have the righteous obedience that God uh, is looking for. Now, he doesn't say, do the good things and not the bad things. That's a very simple thing that you could say. Do the good things, not the bad things. Do the good things, God will love you. Do the bad things, God will have nothing to do with you. But what does he say in verse 16? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If your heart is fixated on serving God and on righteousness, your obedience begins to flow out of that. It's not a matter of choosing right over wrong. It's having a heart that is in tune with what is right. That's much deeper than just behavior. That's much deeper than just choices. You know, I, I have asked, I, I asked our older kids to do some chores around the house from time to time, uh, and there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, whenever the, those things are asked. I have had the job get done with the wrong heart doing it. And you can tell, too, because when coffee mugs end up with the plates and things just get shoved in cabinets when they're putting dishes away, you can tell they're trying to get done with that and get on to something else. You can get the job done, but have the wrong heart. But if you have the right heart, you will never fail to get the job done. God desires the latter over the former. He wants your heart. He wants people who are spirit-filled. He doesn't want, just want law keepers. He doesn't just want obedience. He wants hearts. The heart filled with the Spirit will obey. The heart filled with the Spirit will keep His law. But that keeping and that obedience isn't going to change your heart. Your heart has to be His because of the love that He expresses through His grace and through the sacrifice of Christ. So if you walk in the Spirit, verse 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now why? He's just listed all these terrible offenses. He's just listed all these bad things. And those who do those, they're not getting in. Now we could look at that and say, that's simple meritocracy. They've done the wrong thing, therefore they do not get the reward. But that is not in keeping with the theme that Paul is setting. It is not the acts of the flesh that are excluding them from heaven. It is the state of their heart that leads to those acts that has already excluded them before they even act at all. A heart that desires the, flesh, the things of the flesh will act on the things of the flesh. And that is not a heart that is in union with God. But a heart filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? What kind of works does that produce? Well, we're getting to that now. Verse 22, and we know this well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now that's interesting. That's an interesting little tag on the end of that. First of all, it's the fruit. And I love the references to agriculture that are throughout the Bible. 
Uh, I think that they are one of the, I believe that part of the design of our world is meant to imitate and replicate and demonstrate some truth about God's nature. I think the way that uh, our nature, our living things can reproduce and bear fruit is one of those. I believe when God designed plants and trees and in Genesis where it says he designed them to reproduce after their own kind, I think that's totally on purpose because as Christians, as people of faith who seek nothing more than to share the gospel, we can look not very far and see exactly what we're supposed to be doing because every plant produces a fruit. Everything produces a seed. Everything reproduces and grows and exponentially multiplies. And that's what we're supposed to do too. Fruit is evidence. It's evidence of something. Uh, Tom Smith gave me a seed catalog a few weeks ago at church. And, you know, I love gardening and I love trying new things and experimenting with different kinds of, of seeds and plants. And this thing was so cool. I love looking through it. And I was just, I was begging Nikki, can I just make the whole backyard a garden? Can I just take the whole, just take all of it, you know? Because uh, I, I would if I could. And there were so many cool things I'd never seen before. Uh, and, and different varieties and different colors. And I just love growing interesting things. And I, I spent hours looking through this catalog. And it's amazing to me that such variety exists. And it's amazing to me that we can take these things and we can cross-pollinate and we can try new things and make whole new varieties and change the taste. But at the end of the day, what is that thing that is produced, that fruit, that evidence of what we're looking at? I'm not great at identifying plants just by looking at them. But if I see apples hanging from a tree, I know that's an apple tree. If I see oranges hanging from a tree, I know that's an orange tree. When I can see the fruit, I can identify the source. And so it is with God when he looks at our lives. When he sees our fruit, he can identify the source. And this world around us, when they look at our fruit, they can identify the source. Now we can do good things and produce good works and we can look like we are what we are supposed to be. But don't forget Jesus as he was nearing the end of his time on this earth and he was walking to and fro and, and he sees a fig tree and he reaches into it and there was nothing there. Looked like a fig tree. Smelled like a fig tree. The bark, the leaves, all the right shape. But no fruit. And Jesus cursed that tree. It withered and it died. Because that tree was dishonest. It had all the appearance. It had the name. But if a fig tree doesn't make figs, it's just a shrub. If an apple tree doesn't produce apples, that's just firewood. What good is a tree if it doesn't produce after its own kind? And what good are we if we look like we have a heart for the Spirit, but we're simply going through the motions? We will be fruitless, Paul said. If we seek to please God simply by keeping a law or acting right or doing right or trying to earn it, we're going to fail every time. And that's why Jesus came. So why give up that grace? Why turn your back on grace? 
Why not be led by the Spirit instead? Don't lead with your works. Lead with your heart and let your heart produce the fruit. And Paul says the evidence of who we are, the evidence of how we're led, the example we give to the world around us, how we will know if we are on the right track are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And none of these violate any law. None of these go against anything that God has ever asked of his people. So Paul says, what are you waiting for? You're not violating the old law to have these qualities. But seeking these qualities and just having them and doing good works, that's not where they come from. They come from having a heart filled with the Spirit. And they come from a people who are willing to set their eyes on Jesus, to follow after God, and to be led where He would have us go. To be focused on producing fruit and to producing these good works and these good qualities. And these next several weeks, we're going to talk about these qualities. We're going to examine each one of them. And again, I, I would urge you, and I like to look at it this way, these are not... Uh, these are not individual qualities. These are not different varieties of the same fruit. They're all one. Paul says, if you have the Spirit, this is what you'll have. Now, admittedly, we're better at some of them than others. Okay? I'm not very patient. I'm not always great at having joy. There are some things I'm deficient in, but I'm trying. It does take training. It does take discipline, and we're going to talk about some of that in the coming weeks. But we're going to look at each one of these characteristics and how the Spirit can produce within us these characteristics of righteousness. Not the characteristics that get us closer to heaven, but the heart that gives rise to these characteristics. The heart that is owned by God, that is filled with the Spirit, and that has a home waiting for it when this life ends. And I hope that you'll give some thought to these things and to what we'll be studying and what we'll be looking at. I'm looking very forward to it. And I hope that it will begin to, if need be, shift your thinking a little bit. So that you don't wake up each morning thinking, i got to do more good things than bad things today. But you wake up each day saying, thank you God for your son Jesus, for his sacrifice, for my salvation. Lead me by your spirit today. Let the fruit be born in that. We will not earn our way into heaven. We must not slip back into the thinking that we can. But we must embrace the sacrifice of Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And go forth living in accordance to what that Spirit calls us to. The good deeds will come. The obedience will come. But our faith is in Christ. Our faith is in him who gave his life for us. If you have a need this morning to be encouraged, to receive prayers of your fellow Christians, to become more faithful in your walk, or to become a Christian in baptism, I want to encourage you now uh, to make that known if need be. And let us help you in that effort as we stand and while we sing this final song.
Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at MonroeWICOC at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.